Special set of circumstances today. Uh, Kolsky, you were in a, in a quiet hotel room, right? Yeah, well, it's like one of those with like a bedroom and then like a couch in the other room. So I'm in the couch room and I've got a 70-year-old man and a 4-year-old boy sleeping in the bedroom. So if I seem to be oh, talking sick. quietly, that's true. Uh, as of now, only the 70-year-old man is sleeping, doing nothing to control the actions or sleep patterns of the four-year-old boy so we might be interrupted by a child and we might not <laughs> so uh i am as you can probably hear uh, ridiculously congested nice and as we record this it's the middle of the champions league final so i'm gonna laugh in the face of the of the toy department gods and promise you a short show huh. right at the start can't and you uh can't you just say we're gonna deliver can't you just like pause the Champions League final for for an hour? Well, that's what I've done. But you oh, know, okay. People, people people talk to me about the Champions League final. So oh, you're you like know, getting me. texts. You gotta go. You gotta right. go on airplane mode, man. You gotta take extreme yeah. measures. Oh, airplane. Well, can I talk to you on airplane mode? I oh, because you're on wireless, right? Yeah, but then you might get texts too. So I don't know if that works. Yeah, I, you know what I'm worried about is like uh, the athletic app and that kind of thing. Ooh, yeah, your alerts. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So the phone's going face side down, basically. That's smart. That's good. That's good strategy. And uh, and we're gonna talk. Of course, my notes are on there though. So, that's <laughs> <laughs> so let's start then uh, with Top Chef. Yes. Uh, which wrapped up in. Um, uh, I dare say expected fashion. Um, with yeah, our, with our man yeah. Buddha taking home the All Stars prize. Our man Buddha, yeah, he's. Uh, I, I'll say this: it is not a surprise that he won. Um, I, I do think that it was closer than I thought, and I would say that if Sarah had not fucked it on her liver and just like not cooked it she probably would have won this thing well but what do you send out if she because i agree with you i i well i don't know if i agree she probably would have won but you definitely think like once she fucked those livers i was like i don't there's there's no path there's no path to the presidency once you mess up the liver um i well i'm not saying like once she did what she did she could have fixed it because she made the point like she cooked it uh she wanted to wait to the last second to slice it um but if she had either cooked it longer or sliced it earlier uh she could have fixed it so <laughs> lesson learned i guess but they seemed to to like much of her meal the most they just couldn't give top chef's top prize to someone who miss like brutally undercooked their protein in one of the main courses yeah i mean i dare say that this if this was a regular elimination challenge right like I mean, that's the kind of mistake that gets you sent home yeah exactly even right like you just can't you can't win a final that way right so um you know particularly if someone else is cooking well and you know I don't know if he was the best outing, but I think he cooked pretty well. Yes. No, I mean, look, Buddha got the normal, at least for a couple of his courses, got the normal, like, I can't believe how good this is from multiple Michelin star chefs, which is always, it's still, like, that experience that we have had repeatedly on this year's Top Chef still hits for me because you see even he is, like, you know, geeking out over these chefs that they're serving and they in turn geek out over his food it's a pretty awesome thing to see also buddha clearly had the most excellent theatrical moment 
of the episode when he was cooking his dessert and like poured a huge thing of of liquid nitrogen there was like steam and smoke everywhere and he just threw up his hands and said we're done (laughs) (laughs) that was good you know it it is interesting i feel like i feel like these finales they're almost anticlimactic in a way you know because it's like you get a little bit less of an episode right because there's no quick fire yep you know, they're kind of going straight to the thing. And I don't, like, maybe we need to hear more from the chefs about the food. Maybe. Or maybe after the competition, like, I wouldn't mind hearing from Are you saying you- some of the, the eliminated contestants or from some of the experts. Like, put the whole season in context. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel like, I feel like, like we, we need to pick a winner and then need- it's kind of over. We need a dedicated episode of Watch What's Watch What Happens Live after this. Yeah, like I, I don't know, like I want some analysis and some context. You know what I mean? And it's like, like it's Pod's last episode ever on the show, and then we 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 got a lovely toast. Yeah, and then let it's me kinda over. You know? Let me just say this for uh, Padma's last episode on the show. She dressed like it was her last episode on the show. Yeah. Yes, she did. <laughs> um. I, while you're talking, though, about the sort of you would love more analysis, the thing in this episode that stood out the most to me where I was like, God, I wish I got more on the food was when they ate at Ellen DeRose's restaurant. Yeah. Because, like, yeah. that that thing where she, like, put caviar on their hands. Oh, my God. Like, I want to know all about that. I want to know what goes into that. How is it made? Why is it on their hands? Um but it was it was really good. I, I, I like that scene was great. I, I just generally, you're right about the final episode. It feels like less than a Top Chef episode, and it feels like we got the same amount of background on the dishes that we do in a normal episode. But it just feels like in the final somehow that's not quite enough. Because it's just people get background from. You know what I mean? Right. It's just three people, and 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 like. I would not have, I would have enjoyed, and I just don't know that there's a good way to do this, but I would have enjoyed more specifics on what they were doing, what techniques went into each course, you know, how they made the decisions. Cause you get the normal amount, but I feel like in a final, they need a greater amount. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know, like, I feel like these final episodes should be a little bit more uh, special. You know what I mean, right? Like, yep. You know, it, it just feels like a, a, a regular episode of Top Chef, you know? Yeah. And I don't, you know, I'm not advocating for more fanfare necessarily, but mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe more fanfare would have helped. Yeah, it might have. Um, I, I will say, just in general, I think across the board, other than Sarah undercooking her liver, this was way up there for like just consistent level of all the chefs all the all the dining chefs enjoying the meal like just tom in particular i don't know that i've ever seen him so like fully contented and happy after a top chef meal you know what i mean he just looked he like was really impressed by the Purdue, I thought. he was and there were so many points and then at the end when he was like this is going to be hard or when they were when they were doing the judges table sort of uh debates right he just he was like i don't know it's just i like it all (laughs) um and you know they all kind of made the point well i just don't think we can give it to sarah after what she did to deliver but just in terms of the flavors they got and and the expression each chef managed to present of themselves and i think that was particularly true of sarah and Gabri, I mean, Buddha did an incredible Buddha thing where he had a different course from each place that he associates his, his himself with. It was amazing. But Sarah, there was a point where it was the Burgoo. Um, obviously, as you said, Tom was super impressed. But then Claire Smith, uh, you know, Buddha's mentor, who we already saw as a judge once this year, she said, and I quote, "That's why you're here." about sarah and and i feel like that was an that was a defining moment in that she sarah has consistently throughout this season when she doesn't 
for some strange reason go a different direction for no no good reason she has over and over again presented her food her way and it's kind of different than most fine dining chefs might give you but it's absolutely elevated and it she she does this trick of taking down home country style food and making it michelin level that i think is really impressive and and she really has this specific personality and character to what she does in a kitchen and i think gabri is the same with mexican stuff he is so excited to bring mexican style cooking into the forefront and sometimes i he's got to stop burning stuff that's ridiculous but but also but also every course he made was and they commented on this too was like humble ingredients cooked in a mexican style and he might get a little he might overcomplicate some of the stuff but at the end of the day his flavors just blow everything up in in a good way yeah. he, he is yeah. it's, I can, can you think of another chef who served ground beef in a final no no one would no one would do that yeah. well i mean the honestly the person most likely to do that is probably sarah but she would she would definitely do like game instead right so that like you just you know and i don't know if it's just a happy marriage a happy coincidence that like these chef these two chefs that are obsessed with their particular sort of homespun style of food and then elevating it that it's just lucky that we got them in the final because i don't feel like the the sort of humble ingredient humble basis chefs often make it this far but consistently throughout this episode and throughout the season all the judges had very similar comments on what gabri and sarah were doing in terms of like this what they have done here from this like sort of uh viewpoint of food should not be this elevated and delicious but they both managed to do it yeah yeah I think that's fair. Um, and and Buddha obviously is a different thing. Um, he is all the technique in the world, but still managing to cook with soul and not have the technique strip the, the love out of what he's doing. So, and I think that's why he won. That's why we expected him to win. That's why he won last season. Like he is, yeah. he's, he's a next level. Bag. Yeah. He's got, he's got the whole bag. Like he's incredibly refined, but to be playful and fun to do down home like you know he's just tough to beat man he's the complete he's package Buddha low yeah. ladies and gentlemen um so it's you know and, and obviously I mean, no one really does the, the show back to back so no to, to, to win back to back i doubt will be repeated that <laughs> is, that's gonna be a very very tough thing for anyone else to do um there were a few great quotes i thought in this episode um one was at the end when they were waiting for the results and sarah and gabri were both kind of talking about uh the problems they felt they'd had <laughs> and gabri said call me the one texture wonder <laughs> uh that was really funny and i <clears throat> i also very much enjoyed as they finished, I think it was the second course, um, Tom, who was Gabri's sous chef. And I was shocked that he picked Tom, by the way. I thought Ali was the clear choice. Um, Buddha really lucked out in that respect. But yeah. Tom, Gabri finished like the second or third course. And Tom was like, looks good to me, but I'm German. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I don't know if you... I, I really found Tom to be a delight. He was, he, you know, uh, like to to uh, paraphrase him, for a German, he seems like a great time. Um, yeah. I also really enjoyed, right at the beginning of the episode, they, they were all in the car riding to do their, like, first day of cooking and prep. And Sarah was like, ha, I'm going to salt all your dishes and sauces. Ha, ha, ha. And Gabri was like, ah, that's funny. And Buddha just had this look on his face like, I will kill you. <laughs> How dare you joke about salting my sauce? 
I will. <laughs> that is not funny. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Sarah talked at the end about, like, you know, did I lose? I don't feel like I lost. And usually when you hear people say that, it's kind of like, okay, well, you kind of did. But, like, I think both for her and Gabby, tremendous seasons. And I yeah. do feel like they are real winners of this. And I think, you know, certainly um, they're going to have a lot of people who want to eat their food. After yes. This, so they're going to be tremendous winners. Of yeah, this they, may not, they may not have won, but they both were winners for this whole process. And, and like I said, like they both really represent a, a level of comfort food that we don't often see in the final of top chef. And I think that speaks to how good they are. And also to like, maybe that, that, you know, for some people, the sort of technician chef thing has gone a little too far and has lost some of the soul that's so important to eating the best food. And, I feel like both Gabri and Sarah being in the final really kind of represented like this. Sure. All the crazy stuff you can do with technology in the kitchen is cool. But at the end of the day, this is a medium that's about making people feel something in a way that's not quite so antiseptic. Um, and I, that makes me excited. Yeah, for sure. For sure, it's kind of a—it's almost like a response to the menu, in a way. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you? You know, I—I I, I also thought that one of the more interesting things, and it, I, I understand why this won't be <laughs> as we go forward. Um, but I thought having the chef be able to shop wherever they wanted, yeah, and having some various adventures and misadventures of that, I think actually really. Played an interesting part in this role. Yes, uh, definitely, show, definitely some like, suspense, right? When Gabri's like looking around for Mexican ingredients at the big supermarket and can't find them, but then like finds a little Mexican shop. That was cool. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And then uh, you know, Sarah had some some issues as well. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. you know, it's uh, right. Even Buddha, right? I think there was like one lobster in there that he was looking for. You know what I mean? So. Um, you know, I, I I would like to see more of that, but I you know obviously show's got to make money, right? So. Yeah, I think that's as good. That's that's going to continue to be only a finale sort of move because they got to get that Whole Foods money, man. Yeah, yeah, and right. Even there was one season where they were like somewhere where there wasn't a Whole Foods and they still had a grocery sponsor, right? So yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So it uh, it will be what it will be. Well, it's going to be uh, a super interesting Top Chef off-season. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I would imagine that they're pretty close if they haven't already decided on a replacement for Padma, but I will be very interested to see how they do that. I, I said last week, and I will repeat, that my strong, strong preference would be for Gail to take that job, assuming she would want it, um, because that continuity feels worthwhile to me. But who knows? It could be anybody. Yeah, I have a feeling that Gail, you know, she has other responsibilities may not allow for the same kind of Does she? role in the show that Pat had, you know what I mean? So, what responsibilities? I just mean her life, like she's at food and wine, right? She's got, uh, yeah. you know, she's raising kids and stuff, and I don't know. Sure, I guess, she, but I mean, it's not like Padma's not doing those things. I mean, she's not yeah. writing for food and wine, but she's a busy lady. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying Padma's not busy. Sorry, I just felt like I don't know. Padma had a different kind of ownership in the show. I think it feels seems like maybe, so. maybe. But that know. you know, maybe that's how you get Gail is you give her, you give her more creative control or whatever. I don't know. But she yeah. is you make Gail. Like Gail with her. Yeah. Well, Gail and Tom are the only two people who were on season one who are still on the show, and I feel like that is um, noteworthy and. Also, I love Gail, as as we have established very well on this podcast. I love Gail too. Uh, She's, I, you know, I I wouldn't mind seeing a love, uh, you know, forward forward. Yeah, I mean, look, Marcus Samuelson is already hosting like Top Chef for kids or whatever. I don't. I just feel like he might be a bit goofy for for to be the. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he's the one I want. Like I, you know, I mentioned Richard Blaze last week. I, I could see him. I think there. Brooke would be good. Got on to tell other things in television that that might make sense. Yeah, Brooke Williamson would be a good one, I think. Yeah. Um, but you know that to me, 
I feel like getting someone who's uh, who owns and is managing a restaurant as we speak is harder than you know convincing Gail to do it. But who knows? We'll see. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, uh, should we talk about the idol real quick? Yeah, let's talk about it quick because um, it uh, like <laughs> so obviously like every Sam um, Levinson piece. This arrived with uh, a lot of people complaining about, not even complaining, a lot of people like angry about the way he sexualizes people. Um, But I would just point out that a 24-year-old professional model has been sexualized since she was probably underage. And like, that's, I don't, I don't know that he deserves much flack for that. And at least in the, right. This is a, this is a show about like, I mean, have you seen how the music industry sexualizes? Exactly. Exactly. And that's what this is um, about. Um, but, uh, but I, I, I will say a couple of things. First of all, I'm not sure I totally realized just how much this was the brainchild of the weekend of Abel Tesfe or however you say his last name. Um, he, I know <laughs> I'm trying to be cool. Uh, episode one really was not particularly upsetting or provocative. I didn't think, I mean, it seems, it seemed to have some things to say about the way young women are sexualized in pop music. And I think some worthy things to say, um, I mean, I found it to be fairly provocative. Like, there's not a lot of shows with a uh, a jizz-on-your-face storyline. That's true. But that is a... The way that storyline is presented felt very realistic to me, you know? Um, You know, or a uh, auto-erotic sexiness masturbation scene. I feel like it's another thing you... you Right, but I mean... Okay, uh, don't don't misunderstand me. It is extremely sexual, and certainly it is going to places from a sexual perspective that we don't necessarily see a ton in in mainstream television. But I I would argue that Euphoria's first episode was significantly more provocative in terms of giving you high school age kids in a certain way and kind of speaking to the the way the current high school generation is living on the edge more so than um past generations this felt i think i think that's true like it was more provocative but i almost ask you if if that was because Euphoria's first episode was maybe more artistically successful, and it just maybe. made you feel more and more uh, more uncomfortable than this show did. Yes, I never really felt. I mean, I think you're right. It's like this show did some crazy shit, but I don't know that it ever pushed my buttons in the same. Exactly, way. that's what I'm saying. It did not. It yes, it was. That's why I said provocative. Like it was sexual and. And and look, uh, another part of this is my, uh, you know, what what pushes, what provokes me is probably a higher bar after watching Euphoria for a couple of seasons. <laughs> um, but you know, and look, there's 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 a weird not only the auto erotic asphyxiation masturbation scene, but there's a pretty weird. Uh, I don't know. Asphyxiation sexy. Yeah, I mean, I guess yeah. if it's even sex, it might just be music production. It's unclear, but I. I also think that where i was getting with this is did you watch the like scenes from the rest of the season no i did not okay well i guess i would just say and and this is why i think we didn't want to talk too much about it today because we might want to revisit it in a week or two we'll try to next week it um it just looks kind of insane and it it does not look to me like it is continuing to explore what I thought were pretty worthy themes about pop music and the sexualization of, of young female artists in pop music. It looks more like it's just going to be able getting weirder and weirder and more violent until stuff spins totally out of control. And I guess 
I don't know without seeing it, but my instinct is I'm less interested in that show than I would be in one that thoughtfully explores the themes that seem to carry the first episode. 100%. 100%. I would also say, as someone, you know, sort of in the music industry, and granted, I'm not on the pop side of the music industry, and I'm not exactly the type of insider that you would see around an artist like this. You know, certainly he's at the very, seems to be at the upper echelons of pop stardom. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know what it's like to be, to work closely with Taylor Swift. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. um, You know, or even like an Ariana Grande or one of those people. But I've seen a lot of the music industry, and I would say I didn't find it to be the most realistic presentation. What, uh, (laughs) what, what felt the least realistic to you? Like, I don't like the Live Nation guy. Yeah, showing up at the house. Yeah, just kind of being a caricature. And just the, you know, I mean, like, the, obviously just the uh, explosiveness of the Jews on your face sort of scandal. Right. You know, happening the way it was happening. And, like, uh, you know, I don't know. It it seemed like it was, it all seemed a little bit uh, turned up to 11. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think that's to be expected. <laughs> I, that, I agree, and I am not surprised, is what I would say. I would imagine that if that person existed in real life, their their day-to-day would be a lot more mundane than that, if that makes sense. That's probably true. But it did, all, you know, I mean, I think that was intended to be a, uh, you know, uh, a, a big day. <laughs> Like that yes. was not that was not so much a day in the life as like this is the craziest day of of the life or one of them, um, but they're also definitely suggesting that uh, she has a lot of crazy days in her life. So who knows? And I, and I'll say this too, um, I don't know that there was a ton of hard work to be done in episode one, but uh, Lily Rose Depp is extremely convincing as a troubled pop star. Extremely convincing. Yep, last got a lot of scenes. Yep. The first episode for sure too. So uh, I'm imagining it was, a, it was a lot of work, much like much like the learning those choreography moves. Or yeah, yeah, she she did better the second time. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Uh, you know, as as I said to you in the uh, in, in the in the pre-show talk, you know, if I'm giving grades to the show, it's definitely incomplete. I need to see more to really. Uh, to really know, but I, I did think there was some good and bad in that in that first episode for sure. I would agree, um, and and I guess my hope would be that like as crazy as things might get, they maintain some contact with the parts of the show that actually seem thoughtful and interesting to me, instead of just being splashy and and you know provocative for the sake of provoking. Yeah, same. Uh, how many hundred foot ways did you watch? Uh, well. Um, when we were talking about doing the show yesterday, uh, which, you know, uh, my previous uh, embroilment with old men and children uh, kept us from doing, I had only gotten to like one and a half, but now I've seen three or four. And I got to say, man, maybe it also like driving around next to the ocean has affected my interest level, but I find it spellbinding. Like when they um. start getting into those waves and talking about the dangers and all the stuff they go through, even just when it's a good day, like I'm mesmerized and I can't, my brain really can't totally process the, the, the mindset of this kind of big wave surfer. Yeah. Well, you see like their lives and their, dedication to this and like coming up with the system you know really just the idea of towing people out for one and then all right. the, all the radio stuff that they do and just like the constant dedication to like doing the most insane thing right uh, you know it's and it was it's actually wild. it's wild and it was actually episode three where the the sort of wildness of it was driven home the most and this may have been somewhat dramatized for tv but basically one other team shows up for one day and someone literally dies 
Yeah. Like now she got brought, she got revived, but like she was dead on the beach. Um, and the way it happened was like, you know, as you're watching it, it's like, my God, that easily could have happened to Garrett or one of his people. Any of the many, many times they did this, but for their incredible, like, I don't even know what the word is for, for the way that they like ingenuity in establishing safety systems. Right. Um, the, the one thing I will say for Garrett McNamara, who seems to be a complete psychopath in most ways is that he is extremely thoughtful about how to keep everyone safe and extremely prepared to do what he is doing, which seem like requisites uh, for, for this, for this activity. And yet a, a group of clearly very accomplished big wave surfers were not prepared for the level of insanity they found at Nazare when they went there for the first time. And, and again, a, an incredibly accomplished surfer ends up, needing to be brought back to life on the beach uh, in Portugal, which was, I mean, it's an incredible scene. And, you know, not unlike skateboarders, it seems like surfers videotape everything. So there is incredible footage of every single thing that they're talking about. And yeah, man, this is just an excellent piece of documentary work, if you ask me. Just, just excellent. Yep, uh, 100%. And, uh, you know, Garrett's wife, I think. I had no idea of how, you know, sort of uh, much of a role she'd sort of play in the story. And, yeah, yeah. You know, um, I think, thought she was a fascinating figure. Like, learning about his childhood, I thought was really wow. interesting. And I almost wish we got more of that. You well, know that, I mean? that was another thing I, I, I would not have seen if, if we hadn't taken the extra day. But, but wow, like, the story with his brother, even. Like, his brother as kind of the surfer who was getting all the headlines and being on all the magazines and posters and then like a, a a shift and like the effect it had on there like there's there's a lot here and for a documentary about a sport i don't care about and a bunch of people i had barely heard of it's just it's excellent yep yeah for sure um definitely going to finish it <laughs> whether you're in, whether you're in surfing or not. Um, all right, what was the other thing we watched? Because I don't because I have my phone face down right now. Oh well, the, I'm I'm proud of you for maintaining that level of discipline. There, uh, <laughs> there is one other thing we watched, and as much as there's crazy stuff in the hundred foot wave documentary, I would argue there is even crazier stuff in the other documentary we watched, which was the American Gladiator documentary. And oh right, <laughs> I think. The, the first thing to say here is to give a tremendous amount of credit, and I am stalling as I do this a little bit because I want to actually give you his full name and not just his first name that I kept hearing over and over again. Um, his name is, dang it, I didn't do it fast enough. It's Ben's, Ben Berman. Um, he also did the Amazing Jonathan documentary, uh, but the way that he... I mean, look, I think the best documentarians step in to approach a story having an idea of what the arc of that story is. But if the story twists and turns in ways that they do not expect, the best documentarians are able to pivot and, and incorporate it into what they're doing and what he did was basically the first part was kind of the documentary you know 95 percent of it was the documentary you'd expect about american gladiators look at how brutal this was how little they were paid some of the controversy involved all the steroids revisiting some of the characters right and then he does the just sort of lets the end of that first part take a left turn into the insanity of the creation story and the 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 i mean everything about this was fascinating the fact that johnny ferraro didn't want to let them interview his alleged close friend and co-founder the fact that they had to sort of explore all these weird avenues to try to build a history of this guy dan uh, apache dan carr and right. then they finally get him and how about how, how like the whole area of erie like, would 
kind of stubbornly refused to let Dan Carr go, right? Like, yes. You know, everywhere you went, when you, he would like talk about who invented American Gladiators in in town, they were all like, "Yeah, it was Dan Carr." <laughs> yeah, I thought, and then I thought the juxtaposition of when he asked all the gladiators, "Do you know who Dan Carr is?" and most of them were like, "No, I don't think so." And then he goes to Erie and just is asking people on the street, "Who's Dan Carr?" and they're like, "Oh yeah." Apache Dan, he started American Gladiators. <laughs> like, it, it really, it really is incredible. And like, what an interesting and bizarre life that man lit, led. Like, just to get the story of Dan Carr was pretty spectacular. And even the other guy uh, whose name I'm blanking on right now, who feels like he got cut out, um, Donnie, Donnie, somebody just there's there is there was so much there that was totally unexpected and to almost get two documentaries for the price of one i thought was spectacular and also just just to to sort of uh tie a bow on ben berman the way that he sort of artfully twisted john ferraro up in his own the obfuscations, maybe not lies outright, but certainly obfuscations of the truth, I thought was spectacular. Because as a viewer, there were times it almost felt like he was trolling, but you could tell he was doing it in such a way that John Ferraro really had no choice but to kind of confront his, his trollish questions directly. It was really artfully done. And, you know, more often than not, when you start to get too much of the director's voice or face on screen, it diminishes a documentary. And I just thought Ben Berman did an excellent job of managing what became a pretty unwieldy story. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you did it in any other way. It's, you know, it's, it's weird because you think of uh, something like American Gladiators as quintessentially American in a way. And the story of the show, I think, turned out to be quintessentially American in this whole other unexpected way. Like, right down to the whole thing being started by a bunch of union workers and really only existing because they were scabs during the writer's strike. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. everything about this story from, you know, the dreams of Hollywood and the way that Hollywood kind of sucks these people in and spits them out like it's all a, an american story right down to uh right down to stealing from uh, the indigenous people of this land <laughs> you know right, every right. single every single piece of american history really uh is is encompassed in the american gladiators documentary which is something i did not expect to say i very much expected a fun ride and getting to see some great old clips um like what was that dude's nickname two two Two, two scoops. Oh, oh my god, two scoops was incredible. Um, and, and you know, well, you know what's funny? I was very, very young watching American Gladiators on TV, but I didn't remember that the whole series was set up like a tournament. No, me so, like, I don't know. Just revisiting American Gladiators was super cool, and the fact that it became so much more as a story was also super cool. I, I really can't recommend it strongly enough. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a pretty good. I'm glad that it's still like it's been 30 for 30, so I feel like it's been a while since I watched one that really uh, got me. Um, and I think I mentioned this last week that I I really just happened to be flipping channels and caught it, and it sucked me in. Uh, so I was excited when you wanted to talk about it. So um, so here we are. <laughs> and that was before, that was only the first hour when I thought it was just going to be, you know, a typical American gladiator stock. I had no idea where the second hour was going to go. So, uh, yeah, really nice work. That's a strong recommendation for me. Yeah, that's the thing. If it had just been a typical American Gladiators doc, I think we'd still be recommending it. But it is really so much more than that, which makes it even better. Yeah. All right. Um, I think that covers it, right? Should we get to work? Do we want to do five minutes of NBA? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, the Denver Nuggets are going to win this thing, I think. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. <laughs> After we watched game two, um, I've been with my dad for the finals, which has been fun. And after we watched game two, uh, he was like, all right, 
so you you said nuggets in five what do you think now and i was like definitely still nuggets and probably still five and i I, as i thought more about it there is like a you remember the iverson uh lakers finals i do i think and i believe the sixers got game two or no they got got game game one one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but but it had a similar feel of like Good for you, plucky little guys, for grabbing one here. I think that's it. Yeah, and I think that, like, uh, you know, because I listened to a lot of stuff after game one, and and it was a lot of, like, well, you know, the heat are still here, and you can't ever count them out. They're Michael Myers, and they're just going to, you know, they're so smart. They found ways to junk up this series, and. Denver's not playing well on defense, and they got a bunch of stuff that they don't fix, and I'm like, they're just ready to score more points than the Heat every matchup. And so the Heat have something that they fundamentally have to overcome, and it's it's just hard to do that four out of seven times, you know what I mean? Like, they're in it on these games in the 90s, you know, and I know that they're trying to junk it up a little bit, but it's a ask. Yeah, and they're trying to junk it up because they know they're probably going to end these games in the 90s, right? I mean, that yeah. is part of the deal. And and I think even more so than against a Celtics team that also on paper is a lot better than them, they just, I, like, <laughs> they miss Tyler Hero a lot. They really do. Yeah. Just someone else who can get blazing hot. Because as good as Jimmy Butler is, and by the way, there's something wrong with him. He's not right. Um, he's not moving right. He's not being as aggressive as he is when he's really feeling his best. We're gonna. He's gonna end up having surgery on something. I'm. I'm very confident yeah. when this series ends. But even at his best, even in his biggest games, I wouldn't call it like getting super hot. Jimmy Butler's at his best imposes his will on you. He can slow a game down and take it over on both ends. But they really, without Hero, they don't have a single guy on this roster that can just reach that level of, uh uh-oh, he's about to score 30 and nobody can do anything about it. Right. Well, they've been getting a lot of those games from, you know, randos. Well, no, but I mean, you're right. But they are. Gabe Vincent and and, and and whichever Martin brother that is, because now that he's not scoring 20 a game, I don't remember anymore. Um, like, yeah, those guys can have great games, but it's still, it's not, the, there is something about that specific sort of player who can just get so hot, it like the, the light blinds you. And the Nuggets have a two-time MVP and two of those guys with Porter and Murray. And the yeah. Heat have no MVPs and none of those guys. So yeah. it's just... And, 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 you know, you've seen, like, Brown can hurt you in a spurt. You know, Christian Brown, you know, came in... Both Browns, right? Yeah, both KCP, Browns, right? So, KCP yesterday had some incredible defense. Just his hands are everywhere. And anytime someone tries to attack him, it seems like he pokes the ball away. They're, they have so many... Basically... The Nuggets also have the Duncan Robinsons and Gabe Vincents and so on and so forth, Cody, uh, Caleb Martins, but they also have, you know, two potential all-stars and an MVP. The Heat have kind of just those guys. And then Bam at this point is like a more or less a Draymond Green. Like you cannot expect a lot of scoring from him. And there were a few moments. Uh, he's having a great series though. Like, uh, for Bam, yeah. But there were. Been his best series of the playoffs, I think. Agreed. But there were moments last night in what was generally a good game where like he got a little guy on him and backed him to within five feet of the basket and missed the jump hook. And it's yeah. ju- he's just not. Again, it's why they miss Tyler Hero so much. Because when Bam is forced to be a significant scoring presence they're just in trouble it's not going to happen four out of seven times to your earlier point like can he do that every now and then yes but it is not going to happen four out of seven times and with butler not his his normal self there's just it's too high of a hill to climb and even after they won game two i felt that way me too me too you know it's a shame like it's been a tremendous i would say um I don't know if legacy is a strong word, maybe resume burnishing playoffs 
for Jimmy Butler, yep. for Eric Spolstra. Yep. You know, uh, I mean, I think Duncan Robinson was a guy who's like, this guy might be out of the league the, with the season he's having. And I think, you know, that's, you know, he turned that around. Like, there's, yes. you know, it's been a great playoffs for the Heat. There's, they should hold their heads high, you know, um, no matter how this turns out. But I, I do sort of think they're, they're going home in five. And if not, yep. they'll be going home in six. You know what I mean? I, I will I will be truly shocked and impressed if they manage to take game five in Denver. But, you know, the biggest obstacle for Denver at this point is their own focus. And that does yeah. tend to wane when you take a 3-1 lead. So we'll see. But but my instinct and is... And for them within games at times, you know what I mean? Yep. And Miami is a team that will certainly jump you, particularly if you're letting your focus wane in the fourth quarter. You know what I mean? And maybe I'm being too... Uh, too charitable in my predictions, but my instinct is that both Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic will be on guard against that, and that will be enough. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't... I think Jokic, you know... Jokic this close to the prize is not going to be deterred. I agree. I agree. So, uh, and, you know, great for a good man. You know, he's going to deserve all the plaudits uh, that he gets, so... Amen to that. He just is incredible. Like you just, it's the thing you get with the the greatest players of all time, whether it's LeBron or Steph or Michael or whoever. There are just every single night here. There's a minimum of like four or five plays where you just go, what the hell? Oh my God. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I mean, I've seen some conversation about it. Is he inarguably the greatest player now? And I, I, th- I do think there's still an argument for sure for some other guys, but I, I, I do think that he's essentially eliminated all the arguments against him. You know what I mean? Like, Correct. What can you say about Jokic? You know yeah, I mean? the worst thing you can say about him is he's an average defender. Um, right. And, and even that, like, some nights he's better than average. Like, he's just... Yeah, I think he's decent. He's just not a... He doesn't block shots. Debater. Yeah, he yeah. can't jump, so he doesn't block shots. But, like, he plays solid defense over the course of a game and really over the course of this whole playoffs. He is just unbelievable. And, and I'll, I'll add this to the, you know, is he the inarguable best player now debate. He is certainly the guy of all the people in that discussion who has the most different ways to impact the game positively when one part of his game is not working. Yeah, and I'd say he's the most consistent of those guys. Like on a night to night, like his floor, yeah, like his his shit games are so good. You know what I mean? Like a lot of his bad games are triple doubles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, like I said, he's going to deserve all the praise, and uh, I I will enjoy his victory laps this summer because I he'll be a, he'll be a fun guy at the parade. I'm pretty sure. And by victory laps, do you mean his laps around the racetrack in a buggy? In Serbia, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess, guess he's on horseback in Serbia. No, <laughs> no, no. He 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 has buggy. He has he has buggy horses. Oh, he does. Yes, yeah, so you haven't seen the footage of this. No. Oh my god. Horse guy. I don't think I've actually seen him riding the horse. No, he, or, he or take them in buggies. Yes, they're race. They're you know like they harness racing is what they call it in the u.s yeah they're harness racers basically so he's this giant man on a tiny little buggy oh god you could just google the google the pictures after we get off this podcast he's i feel like his horses would be a real at a real disadvantage with him right (laughs) i mean i don't think he's in any of the competitive races he just gets him out for he is like uh Jokic is the ankle weights of buggy horses of uh He's yeah, exactly. It's like swinging a. It's like swinging the bat with the donut on it. You know what I mean? <laughs> he said it's like seven donuts. <laughs> it's a whole bat made of uh, of practice swing donuts. Yeah. Yep. Yep. There you go. <laughs> couple of couple of Krispy Kremes in there too. I would guess. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, we made it through without uh, without interruption from your youngest. So, we did, uh, and, a, and a, a my oldest, by the way, he just happens to be very okay. young. But uh, we also kind of did a short show, so congratulations to you. Maybe you're not the jinx that you used to be. 
I feel like I feel like maybe it's, maybe it's my time. I'm finally, finally, finally developing into the host that was promised. There it is. There it is. Great job by you. All right, what do we got for homework? Um, all right, so we are. I, I, you know, now I put my notes away again. Hold on. Um, we're gonna watch another one of the Idol. Not much I remembered. Yeah. Um, and we are going to watch a couple of shows on Hulu. Uh, one is called Flaming Hot. It's a movie, actually, uh, directed by Eva Longoria. And I would say, as Air was to Air Jordan's, Flaming Hot is to Flaming Hot Cheetos. I guess would be the uh, the analogy there. Yeah, uh, uh, there seems to be more controversy over the origin story than uh, in in Air, but but that's interesting. Yeah. And I think Flamin' Hot is uh, going to be a little bit more of a comedic movie than there was. Yes. Um, uh, Somewhere Boy is also on Hulu. It's a, uh, a British drama. That's a TV show. Uh, so we'll take a couple episodes of that. We should uh, know. You should know it's a British drama based on the uh, the use of the word boy. Yeah, good point. They love to have shows you know, called Something Boy. <laughs> you don't really do that in America. No, yeah. we don't. Uh, <laughs> Boy, like boys, just a slightly different, slightly more respectful context over there. I think. I think so. Um, there's a show on Peacock called based on a true story, um, which presumably is based about, on a true story. I think it's about crime podcast, if I'm not mistaken. Well, um, there's a lot of ins and outs, as I uh, understand it, but um, there, there was actually, I guess, a, a psychological thriller film called that that was a 2017 roman polanski joint um and that was based on a novel so i'm guessing this is either based on the same novel or on that film or just the idea of the phrase based on a true story yeah that's true it could be anything but i'm not sure it's actually based on a true story right correct (laughs) (laughs) but anyway uh, that'll be a peacock. Uh, we're gonna watch that, um, and then um, the Crowded Room on Apple, starring a famous Tom who I am not super familiar with. We got to do a long discussion about. <laughs> yeah, somehow Derek doesn't know who Tom Holland is, or at least like needs some disambiguation between Tom Holland and Tom Hiddleston. Which I guess you know, for two actors prominent in the Marvel universe whose names are Tom H, it's not that crazy to get them confused. Yeah. Handsome Tom's, and I didn't watch any of the movies that they're involved in, so I really, I just don't know the difference. Yeah, uh, in fact, if I can expose your ignorance, what you said was, oh yeah, Tom Holland, didn't he date Taylor Swift? Right. Yeah. That's that's wrong. Right? That's wrong. Zendaya, is that? Right? He he dates Zendaya. That's correct. Okay. Still still don't know what either one of them looks like, but I I will by the end of this. I think. Damn right you will. <laughs> um. All right, so we got to do all that by Friday. Let's do it. Whew. All right, better get to work. Bye. This game's in the Admiral refrigerator. The door is closed. The light's out. Butter's getting hard. The eggs are cooling, and the jello is jiggling. So long, everybody. And do me a favor. Have yourself a tremendous evening.